Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. Unfortunately, today, the green half of the Green Beige Podcast is not here, so we have a replacement. We have Mr. Justin Marvel, who is the green today, and I am Ken, I am the beige, and this is episode 11 of season 3 of the Green Beige Podcast. Justin, how is it going, my friend? I was going to tell you that I have the green to be the green of of Green Beige, so you don't have to worry. But yeah, shout out to AJ, safe travels, buddy. Uh, I'll try to suitably fill in for you tonight. Oh yes, AJ is currently over and away. He has taken to the skies with his lovely wife there celebrating their anniversary. And that is why he is not here today. And he won't be here next week either. So safe travels, my friend. Have fun. These are the things that matter most. The memories that you make with those that you love. So, Justin, this week we got quite a bit to get into. I call this episode this week, it's hard to be the king. Because (laughs) for many of those teams that would have been wearing some kind of crown, it was not a happy weekend for them. When you're on the top... You can expect to get the best punch from your daily opponent. And many of the division champs and league champs are getting struck in the mouth, you know, to borrow the saying from Mike Tyson. And in some cases, repeatedly, and are currently trying to get up off the mat. The Warriors and the Rams, who are the defending champions in the NBA and the NFL, would both miss the playoffs if it started today. And the world champions, France, are dealing with some injury issues in their squad leading up to the World Cup that starts in 13 days. Even the division champs from last year are having a rough go at it in 2022. Four down territory is where we go off the rip. So, Justin, you know how we like to do it when we go four down territory. We start with the biggest winner on first down. Who is the biggest winner of this weekend? I hate to bring this up, Ken, because you it's against your team. But I want to say the Baltimore Ravens for what they did on Monday night. Simply because they were playing without their best running back in J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards. Then you didn't have um, your two top targets. There was no Mark Andrews. There was no Rashad Bateman. And they managed the way against a extremely good New Orleans defense on the road in that, you know, in New Orleans and dominated that game from start to finish. Like, I want to see, and this is a Baltimore Ravens team that we've seen this season give up at least three double-digit fourth-quarter leads. So, you know, like, for them against your vaunted defense, because as bad as your offense has been, your defense is still what you hang your hat on. And to go on the road in noisy places, like there are very few places, or, or there there are places that are so hard to win in, like to go in Arrowhead, to go in New Orleans. These are, you know, to go in Seattle. These are very very tough venues to win in. So, for them to be missing so many components to their offense and go on the road in New Orleans and win in such a convincing manner, because they won in all three phases of the game, and on top of that, you are bringing in. Um, Roquan Smith, who looked like he fit right in, like you figured that he would have needed another week to make, be a difference maker on that defense. That was not the case. I want to say Baltimore's end-to-end victory over you was the biggest winner for me, and they stood ahead 
of the rest of the competition in that AFC North? Well, I really can't. I, I, I really can't argue against that point because it was painful for me to sit down and watch that game last night. It was really, really difficult to be partisan, especially <laughs> from a Saints side, and see how that game was going. We have a couple guys who are joining us early in the show. We have Dale Haynes, the Eagles guy. He is here. Thank you for joining. We have Mark Thompson as well. I think Mark is a Giants fan, if I remember correctly. Mark, you can correct me on that one. They are both in the crank early as dale has said and thank you very much gentlemen for joining us no justin i actually went in a different direction with my biggest winner of the week because obviously i'm not going to want to crown the team that you know beat me at home um my biggest winner of week nine is the kansas city chiefs the titans have been their bogey team in the andy reed patrick mahomes era and after a sharp opening to the game i was so pleased watching how mahomes started that game things went pear shit for the chiefs as they struggled to stop derrick henry and the tennessee rushing offense the titans came into this game with malik willis making his second start at quarterback as ryan Tannehill is still ailing and i honestly thought that this game was going to be a blow for the chiefs after all you come into every game expecting a heavy dose of Derrick Henry and then when you consider that Willis only made 10 passes in his debut versus Houston I mean we do have to give the caveat that it is against Houston and Houston is Derrick Henry's favorite opponent to run against because it's like consecutive 200 yard games he's had against them but I digress when Willis only made 10 passes against them you'd figure that Kansas City would have forced him to be the game winner and would do whatever they could to prevent Derrick Henry from being able to wreck the game Henry also appears to be back to his best as he averaged almost seven yards per carry and scored two touchdowns Willis also contributed with his legs with eight carries for 40 yards but he couldn't get it done with his arm going five for 16 for 80 yards what was evident in this game however is that tennessee's defense is a serious consideration patrick mahomes threw the ball 68 times but had just one touchdown through the air he also has 63 yards on scrambles because nobody was open downfield no running back for kansas city got 10 yards Tommy Thompson had his heaviest workload for the season with six punts. He literally doubled the most punts he's kicked in any game this season, this in this past game, and they outgained the Titans by 270 yards, Justin, and still only won in overtime. This was a heavyweight clash of two division leaders and defending champs, and for me, the better team came out on top. This just proves to me, right? Like, we talk about Brian Dable and, you know, the job, of obviously, that Pete Carroll has done in Seattle, right? And I lean to one of those for coaching year, right? But make no mistake what I'm about to say again. This has shown me that Mike Vrabel, if he's not the a top three coach in the NFL without a shadow of a doubt. He might, like, for whatever it is, like, I don't know how you managed to put together the scraps that are the Tennessee Titans. Like Malik Willis is scoring eight times a game. Um, everyone knows that Derrick Henry is coming to run the football. You have absolutely no receivers after trading AJ Brown over to the Eagles, and yet, some way, somehow, right, you find a way to scheme yourself to wins. And you almost went in 
in our, you almost won this game against the most potent offense in the entire NFL league. Mike Vrabel, if he is not the, he is one of the three best coaches in the entire NFL. We know a shout of a note. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that because, like, one of the things that I had to smile at constantly during the broadcast was you heard the commentator saying, yeah, we know that Tennessee doesn't get a lot of national recognition. We don't see them on TV very often, but they have some players on that team that you really don't hear about, and, and they're mostly is Derrick Henry and then the defense. Because even Robert Woods, who was their big wide receiver acquisition after getting rid of A.J. Brown, Robert Woods is back there to return punts and kickoffs. I was like, but if this is your number one receiver, you usually protect this man. You don't put him out there to have to do that kind of work. But I don't know what it is that Vrabel does in Tennessee. Every season, we count them out. Every season, we say that this team is not going to be that good or they're not going to be as good as they were last year. And every year, they come and they prove us wrong. Every single year. Now, going looking at the chat, Mark confirmed what I said, that he is indeed a Giants fan. Dale says that his Eagles are flying. I mean, it's, it's, we have a little... Um, NFC East banter happening in the chat between Eagles man and Giants man, but that's 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 nice. Um, Dale says that Patrick Hans needs ice for sure because after 68 pass attempts, something you have to ice down something. And Mark says, Yes, Eagles are doing well, Dale. I've had them to win the division before the season started. Giants are overachieving. Interesting, they are. Okay, <laughs> no problem. Justin agrees with that. So, no, Justin, we move from first down to second down. We're looking at the biggest loser of the weekend. Who is the biggest loser of week nine? There were a ton of losers. They won't even get to my Packers, right? <laughs> like, that's another situation for another time, right? But at some stage, Sean McVay has got to correct what's going on in Elliot. Like, how many fourth quarters are you going to either go scoreless or just simply get outscored? You have absolutely no reason why you lost that game to Tampa Bay. But yet again, you go vanilla on offense. And a team that has struggled to score the ball all season long, struggled to even move it. They are the worst rushing attack in football. And yet, some way, somehow, you give up that game within drive on road when Tampa Bay seemed all but buried. They have to see it's got to be Rams. Like, how do you not win this game? Like, you did everything up to the fourth quarter, and then you go scoreless again another in that fourth quarter performance. I've told you, Ken, I've told AJ, and I'm going to continue saying this as long as they have a space on, you know, the internet. Sean McVay is not this innovative, offensive genius that we all think he is. Like, I keep seeing this over and over and over again, and people are probably tired of hearing me see it. The real... <laughs> Innovator is not even Shanahan Jr. It's Shanahan Sr. All of them, from Kel Shanahan to Sean McVay to um, my own coach in Matt Lafleur to Arthur Smith to Zach Taylor in I want to say Cincinnati. All of them are borrowing a form of what Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak installed in Denver that zone running scheme, and they've just picked what you know Shanahan Sr. has done. And then you see these coaches, and we're calling them offensive geniuses. You know, the Sean McVay's, the Matt LaFleur's, the Kyle Shanahan. I'm like, 
They're not offensive geniuses. And, and, and you, again, you're seeing it over and over again, especially with Sean McVay, when the basis of this offense is in the zone running scheme. And ask yourself, what does the running attack look like in the Los Angeles Rams? It's terrible. Like, and that's the reason why they can't put away games. You're asking Matt Stafford and his injured elbow to do everything. Um, clearly, as I said, um, Alan Robinson's not formed any sort of chemistry with, with uh, Matt Stafford. So when you have these big leads or substantial leads and you should be able, with that zone running scheme, to put away games, can't get it done. Have you seen it yet again? I think this, for me, was the worst loss outside of Detroit. But we'll get to that a little later. Yeah, I'm sure that we are going to have an opportunity to talk about what happened in Detroit at some point in today's show. Um, but I actually went a different direction again with my biggest loser of the week. My biggest loser of the week were the Arizona Cardinals. It feels like a weekly thing for me now that I'm picking on the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know why, because they are who they are. So at some point, we just got to <laughs> acknowledge that they are what they are. See, but here now is, this is, but, all right. So when you say they are what they are, I do not disagree with that. However, this is why I pick on them every week. Because you don't pay a quarterback $235 million to average five yards a pass. You also don't want said quarterback to be casually letting the ball slip out of his hand and giving possession away. And you do not want him to be your leading rusher on the day, especially when he is only getting 60 yards compared to another quarterback that I'm sure that we'll talk about at some point in time today as well. And the fact still remains, you can't be having all of this happen under the watch of the next Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury. The Cardinals, the Cardinals have to institute some massive changes coming this offseason because they've spent quite a lot of money on this roster for it to be as bad as it has been this season. DeAndre Hopkins, we returned last week and he looked really good, but Seattle didn't let him break the game like the Saints did last week. Geno was efficient and the run game for the Seattle was barely slowed all day, but not stopped. Arizona sit bottom of this division for a reason. While Seattle, who clearly we were all wrong about, are top with two wins on the second place San Francisco 49ers. Um, at some point, though, I expect San Fran, when fully healthy, will catch them. But I have to, at some point, wake up and write back Gino, who I wrote off. So, like, at some point, they have to wake up on Seattle and admit, like, what they're doing can get them to playoffs. Like, we saw that during the Legion of Boom days. What did they do? They play great defense, control the clock by running the football, and ask their quarterback not to make mistakes. You've seen it all over again. They're playing great defense, not asking Geno Smith to make any big mistakes when they're running the football. Like, whoever they're plugging back there is running the football. So... Shout props to, to, to Pete Carroll for finding a way to make this team thrive without uh, Russell Wilson. But you know that Pete Carroll will have to get some consideration for coach of the year. 
Hold based, me on the level of, based on the level of expectation that we have for this team and the fact that they're leading that division now at six and three, we have to give Pete his flowers. You heard me say I, I started like at some point like it's going to come down if this continues between Brian Dable and and, and Pete Carroll for quarter of the year. Um, some other considerations in there as well. I just said that even as much as they have those two front running, I think Mike Vrabel is just that much better for a coach. Like, good God. It is true. So they're saying that Gino is on Sister Marshall Snow Cone. I, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot disagree with that. Um, Mark says that he can say a lot about the Giants. Coaching is excellent. Dayball was ready for this job. Not calling players as people thought he would. He is the CEO head coach. And, I mean, when we talk about the NFL, coaching matters. Coaching matters a whole lot. And you can see what the lack of coaching is doing in some place like Denver and what great coaching is doing in New York. We, we definitely can. Because the Denver thing had me shocked. And my football card needs to be taken away because at the start of the season, before a single game was played, I had the Denver Broncos to win this division. For the wow. fact, obviously, you had Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson has been so bad, right? To the point that we're overlooking a really, really good defense. Denver's defense is really good. So I figured you finally got the quarterback. You have a great defense. And everywhere Nathaniel Hackett has gone, he has turned around franchises. Mine included because Aaron Rodgers looked like he, a man that we should have traded. He came there back-to-back MVP seasons. He's gone and now Aaron Rodgers looks like a man who should be traded again. But again, we'll get to it later. <laughs> Yeah, so we got some comments coming in. Shout out to Adam for joining us. Thank you so much. He said the Cardinals are definitely the biggest dis- disappointment and that the Giants are really showing how key preparation is. And Mark has said that Carroll is showing how good a coach he is. So Before, I don't, I don't want to go too long, right? But mm-hmm. I'm going to push back here about the disappointment of the Cardinals. The disappointment of the Cardinals only comes if you have expectations in Arizona. And for whatever reason, I don't know why every year everyone has these expectations in Arizona. At this point, both Cliff, King, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray have shown you what they are. They're good enough to beat teams that they're supposed to beat. And then when you come to teams that are 500 or better, playoff caliber teams, they can't get them beaten. Like at some stage, we have to acknowledge the Cardinals are what they are. This is a quarterback who, I guess I'm going to say this is a problem, above average quarterback. A coach who had no right being installed as NFL starter, I mean, NFL caliber head coach. Like we saw, this man had a losing record in college just because yeah. he was running an air raid that we all got excited. There is nothing that tells you that this defense is overrated. Kyler Murray, as a football player, isn't overrated. Like these are just names thrown together on a roster with a bad coach and a bad front office. There is no reason to continually buy stock in the Arizona Cardinals. And I have, year after year after year, I never picked them any higher than third in the NFC West. So I'm one of those who who will have to um, trade in my stock for the Arizona Cardinals. Dale is saying that it's the hope <laughs> that kills you. Um, so it is not so much that I believe that the Cardinals are going to be a great football team because, like you said, we have to acknowledge what we are seeing. They have not been a good football team under Cliff Kingsbury except for 
the one half of season that they started really hot and then fell away in spectacular fashion. I think, and then those others out there who believe that things are good or things should be better in the Arizona situation, we look at what they have throughout the team in terms of skill position talent. As you said, Kyler Murray, he is a decent quarterback. You would say that he is he he is not the Mendoza line of quarterbacks. He he once you have a Kyler Murray, you will say that you have a, a decent quarterback, you have a chance. Um and from that perspective, when you then add in um DeAndre Newt Hopkins, you have well we can't really say much about James Conner this season because he's been injured quite a bit. But last season he looked pretty good. On defense, they have JJ Watt. They have they have names that you recognize. But like some other teams that I'm sure we'll talk about not too long from now, the coaching matters. And or as I should I say, the lack of coaching is evident in the stagnation of like a Kyler Murray and then the non-performance of the rest of the team. So we do have some more comments coming in in the chat. We thank you guys for participating with us. That is one of the benefits of us coming to this live platform. Say so Russell has been, this is Mark saying, Russell's been indisciplined for a while. That's why Carol did not mind him going. That's why the O-line was underperforming. They did not know where he would be. Too much ad-libbing. That is... That's a reasonable point. Um, Dale is asking the question to Mark, especially who expected this from Gino? I can't believe this is Gino. I'm sure nobody believes that this was possible from Gino Smith. Otherwise, Gino would have been starting in this league for the last couple of years as opposed to knocking around as a backup. Um, Adam says, yes, but Kyle Murray is good. Um, D-Hop is good, but they're like Carol Hooper and Keith Atherton. You're showing your age, Adam, to talk about <laughs> Keith Atherton and, and Carol Hooper. Like you're clearly a guy in his 40s and not 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 20-year-old talking about football. <laughs> yeah, and Mark then says that indiscipline is also Kyler's problem and he is too short. That is true. He is definitely too short. If you I have a lot to say, but I know you want to get on the show, so that's another... <laughs> All right, Justin, let me, let's, let's take one more point on this one. Go ahead, and then we'll, we'll move on. No, no, no. Like, reality is the situation. Mark hit nearly head, especially with Russell Wilson. And the thing is, I think I talked about this last week on the same space, um, where they saw the decline in Russell Wilson when we were not seeing it. Because the whole divide between the front office and Russell Wilson apparently started when even with Russell at his best, or what we thought was Russell at his best, the team was looking into drafting Patrick Mahomes. Apparently, the the, the rumor is that had Patrick Mahomes slid any further to them, they would have drafted Patrick Mahomes and see what they got for Russell Wilson. And then the following year, they did their homework on Josh Allen. They actually went to Wyoming. Is that where he is from? Wyoming. That's replayed, and they were doing their homework on Josh Allen, which shows you, and they have been in the league each for four or five years already. That shows you how, how ready they were already to move on for Russell Wilson. 
And that's what led Russell Wilson say A, to have the distrust, but B, then to get that contract with the no-trade clause to put in so that they will protect themselves going forward. So it was not like Pete Carroll was not seeing the slippage that we're now seeing with our own eyes. They saw that from the get-go. And a rival NFC scout was saying what made Russell Russell was the ability to get away, you know, to break, contain, and get away from people like, you know, one of those headless chickens. But with age, you know, comes that slippage in terms of the motor, in terms of the athleticism. And mm-hmm. so that guy was questioning if Russell no longer has that athleticism, is he a disciplined enough quarterback within the pocket to beat you? And now we're finding out in Nathaniel Hackett's system, which asks you to be a pocket quarterback because he doesn't really move around the pocket a lot. We're finding out the answer to that question. The answer to that question is no. Mm-hmm. So Mark says that in relation to Geno Smith, that he also did not expect this level of MVP play from him. So moving on now, Justin, the least impressive win for this week was who? Ooh, oh, I almost forgot. I almost had to look down my notes, but no, I can never look down my notes when I remember which team this is. Now we have a <laughs> bevy of teams that you could say Tampa Bay, you could say Minnesota, you could go on and on, right? But at least it's impressive for me, right? And this is another team I almost put in the same rank of the Cardinals. So those Los Angeles Chargers. Like you needed the most lucky of situations. Like Austin Eckler clearly fumbles the football. They pick up and what should have been driving to go down the other side. Not a scoop of score, but getting in position to win the game. They fumble the ball. Like 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 nothing happens. The ball just slips out of hand and they get another opportunity. This is a Chargers team that is too talented from top to bottom either side of the football to be struggling against an Atlanta Falcons team that he struggles to score the football. You know what Atlanta is coming to do. They're running the football. Mark, Marcus Mariota has no, you know, you're never going to confuse him for Patrick Mahomes or any other pocket-based passer. You know what the Atlanta Falcons are coming to do. And for you to struggle, to you to need luck to beat this team in the last minute with a bevy of talent that you have on either side of the football. But this is a team that I don't stress or fuss about anymore because they also know what this franchise is. This franchise is what they are. Like at the end of the day, I know that this is a franchise that is known for producing a lot of talent, but very few wins. And again, when everyone was, before the start of the season one, to crown this as a Super Bowl champion, or at least a contender, I'm like, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. <laughs> this franchise has absolutely no history of success. This is a terrible franchise led by a very, very, very bad coach. A guy who has rode, I want to say, the coattails of Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey to come to, to trick us into thinking that he's a great defensive coordinator and know that he's on his own in Los Angeles. We are seeing what he is. This team also has, if I'm being fair to them, a very, very bad injury bug. But Everyone is ready to crown Justin Herbert. And at some point in time, if I'm going to crown you, you have to give me a reason why this football team will continue to be pretenders until I see something different. Yeah, I really can't argue with anything that you said because for the amount of talent that the Chargers always have, they find a way to charger it, which is they can't hold on to leads. They can't come back when they're down. They always are in tight games, and most of the time, those tight games go the opposite way. Now, you made mention of who I had picked for my least impressive win, and that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not a good team. They are not a good team. Everybody in the NFC West, sorry, in the NFC South right now are not good teams. I have to be honest about that. But you see those Rams? You talked about the Rams earlier, right? And I like to do is just shake my head because most of what I had here for the least impressive win was in relation to the Rams because the Rams are so bad. The Rams are the defending Super Bowl champions of the NFL and they are probably one of the weakest champions or defending champions we have seen in recent history. Their defense has regressed significantly this season and their offense has also regressed and to the degree that they have done so is very concerning you spoke about the lack of rapport that alan robinson has with with his quarterback matthew stafford but in a lot of cases we got to put that on stafford though because stafford seems just to be intent on force feeding the ball to cooper cup at every single opportunity now tampa has also seen significant significant regression both offensively and defensively as especially at quarterback it's tom brady the, the mark skelman cliff that we've been waiting on for so long has finally arrived the rams though can't run the ball and they can't get any production from anyone outside of cooper cup cup had 127 of stafford's 165 passing yards and as a team the rams had 68 yards rushing even bringing back cam acres from siberia didn't help any as he had three yards on five carries and Tampa still had to come from two scores down to win in the fourth quarter and if the the Rams had any semblance of offense they would not have had a chance I just wish my Saints were better to capitalize honestly as I said Nate the only problem the Saints are you are quarterback away from winning this division that's a reality situation I it is who's gonna fall back Who's going to trip up and fall backwards into this division title? And until proven otherwise, I'm going to have to say the Bucks because I trust the Bucks more than any. Like, I can't trust Andy Dalton. I can't trust Marcus Mariota. And whatever the Panthers decide, whether it's PJ Walker, whether it's Sam Darnold, whether it's Baker Mayfield, like those three quarterbacks won't even make one. So mm-hmm. right now, I'm going to have to say the Bucks are going to end up tripping over themselves and ending up winning division with a probably a, a flat 500 record. Well, it can't be flat because right now we've got 17 games, so they got to tie one of them. So Oh, yeah. Keep forgetting that. Yeah, so the, right now I think 8-9 wins my division. I think 8-9 is going to win my division. Dale is agreeing with everything you're saying. He says you're spitting facts and that Justin Herbert is currently killing him in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Speaking, I figured out. No, I figured out what fantasy get these dual threat quarterbacks that can do everything. So, um, I don't know which quarterback I have in your league, but one team I have Jalen Hurts, and he is absolutely doing it for me. Not that. Oh yeah, in your league, I have. I want to say Tua Tagovailoa, and he has been a 
Revelation and fantasy. So. Yeah. No, I mean you give that gave me an opportunity to just talk briefly about our um Green Bridge Fantasy League. So yes, Justin, you do have tour. Tour has been serving you well. Um when I look at the standings of the league right now. I don't think I've been doing so well in standings though. Even though I have Tua and Tyree Hill in teams. Well, you are currently sitting sixth in the league, which is respectable. It is definitely better than I am doing in my own league. Because right now my beige bomber is sitting last. Oh yeah, we are absolutely last in the in this entire thing. Now Hassani Evelyn Head of the table, he is actually head of the table. He has the best record in the league at eight and one, followed by Keelan Phillips, GOAT. He is leading the East Division, and Hassani is leading the West. Heaven is a place on Earth, that is AJ's team. He is in third. Then the champ is back, David Farmisano, defending champion. He is in fourth. To the window, to the water, they are fifth. That's Omar Clark. You are six. Sabrina, she is Josh Kosh, because she is, she's in seventh. London Learners are in eighth. That's Adam's team. Einhoven Hansen Vestiga, that's Dominic Downs. He is sitting right above me in ninth. And you know what's the hurtful thing about this entire situation, Justin? To show you how, the, how fantasy is just about like, what happens on the week and the breaks that you can get. I don't have the worst performing team in the league offensively you know i have 1223 points and there are i think just quick glancing at this there are at least two teams that are worse off than i am in terms of points per game but it just happens how it breaks on the week no i have the i have the highest points against total in the league 1400 i have about 80 points more against me than everybody else. That will tell you how I'm losing because everybody just has a fantastic week when they play against me. Oh boy. So um, Adam agreed with what I said. He said, I hate to admit how right you are about Tom. I could say a whole lot more, but I will just keep the show moving. And Mark says, <laughs> how quickly things change. The East divisions and both conferences look to be the best. That That is in entirely accurate because there's no more just of any team of any division being the least from the east the, those two divisions right now are absolutely flying all right so justin i think we were at fourth down now the biggest surprise who was your biggest surprise for week nine well you gave me the perfect segue you talked about the east and i hope i wish that ricky Nurse was in the chat because it's none other than his J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Like, what New York has been able to build and accomplish has been nothing short of spectacular um, in the second season of Robert Sala. Um, I still have my question marks about the quarterback, um, Zach Wilson. Like, I, I was one who kind of gave him his flowers coming out of BYU, but pump the brakes right now. Yeah, what they do defensively is absolutely great and that front four front seven they don't need to blitz they can play pressure i saw that game i saw that team up close and personal in lambo when they absolutely destroyed our game plan like they don't blitz and get home with pressure and i want to tell you this now okay i don't try to make too early predictions but we cannot play any more football right as sauce gardener is a lot 
for defensive rookie of the year. Like, like, like stop it right now. <laughs> Sauce Gardner is a lock for defensive rookie of the year. What he did in that game was absolutely phenomenal to the point that what well, we had two interceptions of Josh Allen. The team went, I want to say, three points in the entire second half. And you got to come back from two deficits to win. Granted, you're playing at home, but this is a team before the season started that everyone wanted to crown as the Super Bowl champs. But as of right now, I think they're all and two in their own division. Mm-hmm. Like what the New York Jets have done in this season, they're showing that there's no fluke. Imagine if they just got a semblance of decent quarterback play, what the New York Jets would be, because they are, again, play great defense, try not to turn over the ball, run the football. And this is a team that just lost Brees Hall for the entire season and yet still plugging away. You can argue on offense, at least, if I know, Garrett Wilson was probably their best player on offense. But you can argue that Brees, Wils- Brees Hall was their second best player. You lost him for the season, and yet you go and you beat the presumptive Super Bowl favorites. Yeah, the, I didn't have them to compete in this game, but the New York Jets are, I have to say, are a playoff hopeful now. Oh, yeah. There is definitely no disputing that, not with where they're currently sitting in the standings. Now, for me, my biggest surprise of this weekend was not the East, and well, not anything from the East even. It is, Justin, is your division, the NFC North. The whole North. Nothing happens. You go ahead, but I'm going to tell you why it was a surprise. But go ahead. All right. So first is the Minnesota Vikings who got a great game out of Kirk Cousins. So long <laughs> as it's not prime time, Kirk will get it done. And the only loss he's had so far this season was in prime time. Against he's still unbeating, still flying high. Dale his Philadelphia Eagles. Then we had the Bears who went from looking like a team who needed two sticks of dynamite to a competent outfit who can, who well, who still can't throw the ball. Shout out to Justin Fields, who brought the quarterback rushing record with 178 yards on 15 carries with a touchdown. They still lost to the resurgent Dolphins and terrific Tua Tango Veloa, but, you know, baby steps. The biggest surprise of them all, though, to me at least, was to come out Ford Field, where Aaron Rodgers threw three interceptions, Two in the red zone, and the Lions were able to eke out the victory 15-9. to Three teams have six losses in the North. But Skull Nation is way out front with just the one. Another division champ taking a knockout blow. So, no, here again, I'll tell you there's no surprise. Um, I have a friend, Camo Haynes, and he messages me every week to ask me about because he plays his bets. And initially, like last season, I thought he started, you asked me about Green Bay, and I would tell him, and you keep questioning me until the game happens, and they all. So you really know your Packers. So going into this weekend's game against Detroit, he's like, all right, you have your Packers to beat Detroit Lions. And I told him no. And I explained to him, first, Detroit, of all the teams in the division, weirdly enough, is a team that plays his hardest. In the last two years of Mike McCarthy's tenure, what people don't know outside the organization is that Detroit swept us. They won four straight in the last two years of Mike McCarthy's tenure. Probably what he got fired. <laughs> and that got him fired. I think the Arizona loss at home that really sealed it, nailed, hit me nearly hell. Hey. So that being said, this year's team, 
when I saw the debacle first in London and then against New York, I kind of see where this team was going and the deficiencies in every situation. The only thing surprising to me that happened in Ford Field is that both teams didn't score more. I thought it would have, I had Detroit win in 27 17. And I told Camon, explained to him, the very first thing is that our defensive coordinator only knows how to play two high safety zones, like these soft zones. And I said, that is not going to work with somebody uh, like I'm a Ross and Brown. Surprisingly enough, he kind of came out of that and had Jerry Alexander shadow him for a bit, right? But early in that first quarter, you could see, like, I'm a Ross and Brown was threatening to get away with that. Then the second thing I told him is that we can't stop the run because of that too high safety zone. Like, we play these light five and six-mile boxes. That's not going to stop you and I from running football. <laughs> Far less a competent NFL team. That being said, the defense still played great, held a high-scoring offense, of sorts to 15 points. But the biggest issue, and I've kept saying this for the start of the season, for whatever reason, both Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers don't seem to understand that the best players on this team are Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And the team, like, I put this simply, like, you just have to look at what your best players do best, and then you will understand what both sides of the football should be doing. And the reality situation you do not, you are not trusting of the right receiver compliment. Your best right receiver, his best trait is as a crap down run blocking wide receiver. Like Alan Lazard at his best is a red zone target who loves to block on the outside to run the football. Aaron Jones in any other team would look like Alvin Kamara. I kid you not. Like, there's not much, <laughs> there's true. not much disparity between two players, huh? And this is no knock on Alvin Kamara. Aaron Jones is just not good. There is no difference between the two players, or not much difference between the two. And game in, game out, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers decide that Aaron Jones does not need to touch the football. And then he gets hurt in the game anyhow. Mm-hmm. I know you're seeing like Aaron Rodgers fall off a cliff because he's not trying... Like, I've said this, this team has to be a run-first team, and every single pass that comes on the field should be coming out of some sort of play action. And not the nonsense of these RPOs that, that Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur thinks can happen. We get down, and we had two red zone interceptions. And they say we couldn't run the football. But you have A.J. Dillon trying to get a yard, running from no head of steam out of a shotgun because we believe in this RPO nonsense. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Because coaching and Aaron Rodgers have been this team's biggest problem. Because this team can be fixed. I'm not telling you this team is a Super Bowl contending team, but this team can easily make the playoffs. But under the current coaching, with Aaron Rodgers being one of the most selfish players I've ever seen in my entire life, maybe about him, both Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry being absolutely clueless, this team is going to finish no higher. And they said it three games or four games in the season. This team is going to finish no higher than third in the NFC North. No higher. All right. So looking into the chat again, um, first shout out to Hassani Evelyn. He's come through. Um, 
he has a question for us that we'll, we'll double back to in a second. Mark Thompson said that, you know, this is on Rogers. This is what happens when you remove 85% of your preferred targets and replace with rookies and has-beens, and meaning that Adams was the major focus of the offense. That is definite. He agrees with everything that you said about the Packers. Um, AJ has chimed in. Welcome, sir. Glad that you could you could spare a moment to join us. Hello to you and your wife. Um, he's asking about if we were bad talking to him before he had a chance to sign in. Um, AJ, always early o'clock. Early o'clock. Yeah, what what I said was that the cliff that Mark Kellerman had described has finally arrived. So um, you you are free to rebut this when you return. Um, no, Hassani had asked a question, Justin. How high are we? in the Dolphins. How heavy are we buying into the Dolphins' stock? Um, hmm. That is the hardest question of all the teams. It sounds weird. I'm not saying that, Asani, because you asked. But for me, it's been the hardest question. Like, So what do I know? I know that it is an underrated defense that plays both the run and the pass significantly well. So that travels so they will be successful. You can beat people on the road when your defense travels. The offense is the one I have the question marks. Like, we've seen... Now, I am the person who has perennially underrated Tyreek Hill. No longer. I have to stop now. Like, Tyreek Hill is, like Steph Curry, a force upon himself. Like, like, he's probably going to run away with offensive player of the year. Like, I, I don't think many people realize he already has over a 1,000 yards receiving for the season already. And we're barely over halfway through. The impact, and I've been on record as saying wide receivers don't win games, but most wide receivers aren't tight retail, right? The impact that he's had on this team has been astronomical. Like, I don't know if there has been one free agent acquisition, one trade acquisition that has changed the course of one team as much as Tyreek Hill has. So, the explosive nature of this offense is clearly there. Like, even with Tua's limited arm strength, Jalen Waddle is as good as a possession number two receiver you're going to want because he can make things happen after he catches. Both of them are the perfect complement to Tua because you don't need to push the ball down the field. You can give the ball to them in space and let them do what they have to do. The reason, Hassani, I do not know where to put this Dolphins team is because their inability to run the football. And I find it weird because you brought the run game coordinator from one of the better running teams in San Francisco 49ers. That is the head coach. And you can't run the football. I have an issue with that because when it gets cold and it's playoff time and you want possessions get shorter and you want to limit high-scoring offenses like the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills from having the ball, you're going to need to run the ball, especially if you're traveling to some place like Arrowhead where it's cool, especially if you're going to, to Buffalo where it's cool. I will say this. There are three teams, in my estimation, that separated themselves from the pack, which are the Eagles, the Bills, and the Chiefs. And somewhere leading a second group of the pack that I don't know where to put, like the Dolphins, the Cowboys, the Vikings. I will put the Dolphins slightly, and the Ravens as well. Of that second group, I'll put the Dolphins on top. So I'll say 
to answer your question, it's not even very vulnerable. We're somewhere fourth or fifth, I think. Yeah, I think the Dolphins are fourth or fifth best team right now in the NFL. Yeah, for me, Justin, as you said, with regards to their inability to run the football, that is a major concern. Um, and then as good as Tua is playing, there's still question marks about Tua because of the lack of arm strength. Let's say the Dolphins were able to bring in a healthy Matthew Stafford. You would probably be penciling their name on the trophy right now based on what we have seen from the passing game with someone who has limited arm strength like Tua. What he's been able to accomplish with Jalen Waddle, with Tyreek Hill, passing the ball not very far through the air and allowing them to create the yards after the catch is phenomenal. But the, the running game does need addressing. And then we still do need to see more from Tua, especially when he's going up against these more difficult teams as the season progresses. Um, and then we also put in the 49ers in there as well, not group. A fully healthy 49ers as well. Right. So Mark says that, um, of course, they do need to have, they have to be able to run the ball in the postseason. But he has also been skeptical of Tua, but he is playing really good anticipatory football. That is true. Hassani says that the second half of the season will tell us the contenders from pretenders. That is definite. And it says especially if he is playing in Buffalo with that chilly weather. All right. So that was four down territory. It took us about 50 minutes <laughs> to complete. Um, so now we are moving over into another topic of conversation. And this is one that Kirk, who's usually with us, but we haven't seen him in the chat as yet, would definitely be very interested in. And that is what's happening with the Indianapolis Colts. And of course, they're a team that has not been good for a minute. And they've decided that they needed to make a coaching change. And that is that Frank Reich is out. So... Wright leaves this team with a winning record overall, 40-33-1, but the Colts have struggled this season, going 3-5-1, and, and they have the worst offense in the league. Do you have any sympathy for Wright losing his job? Yes, because if he was going to lose his job, Chris Ballard should lose his as well. And the reason Chris Ballard deserves to lose his job more than Frank Wright is the quarterback that they have tried to replace Andrew Luck with. I mean... You brought the aging remains of Philip Rivers. He gave you that decent season, but again, we know what Philip Rivers. We know what Omar Rivers is in the postseason, and when it was on the lane, lost that game against Buffalo. And I don't know who in their right mind thought giving up draft capital to get Carson Wentz is ever a solution to any quarterbacking problem. Whether we're talking about NFL, we're talking about college, or even PB football. You need to see Carson Wentz and leave Carson Wentz alone. I will be the first to admit that I thought they should have traded for Matt Ryan last season. But you apparently got Matt Ryan a year too late. <laughs> so all of these moves have Chris Ballard's hands like all over them. And if there was somebody who's supposed to lose their job, it should have been him. I feel for Frank Wright because you got 
uh, supposedly injured Matt Ryan. I think he's not playing because it's really the contract situation. And your lone good player on offense is hurt, as in Jonathan Taylor. So, like, you're not getting good quarterback play. Your star running back is hurt, and your offense is centered around running football. So you don't have those two players playing, then it's not a coincidence that you're dead last in the league in scoring. So I, I thought it was unfair to write unless right had a hand in choosing all three quarterbacks since Andrew Luck. If you're going to, and, and I mean, I could appreciate Jim Ursay looking to move on because he probably felt at the start of the season, and I did too, that this is a team that could contend for the ESC South especially in the moment that Tennessee decided to move on from A.J. Brown and not pay him the money that he was looking for. So I figured that they thought the division was up for grabs. But as I said, if you're going to get rid of Wright, which is understandable, then Chris Ballard also should have gone hand in hand. They should have taken their – they should have put all their stuff in one box, <laughs> held the box at both ends, held hands together, and walked through the front door in Indianapolis together. But the fact that – the fact that you only got rid of one and not the other, yeah, I feel for Frank Wright. So AJ has asked a question that Ballard should be on the chopping block. That is before question, but wasn't Wentz requested by Wright himself? And that the answer to that question is yes. Because when Wright, remember Wright was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl. And when he got the job over in Indianapolis, he wanted to get Carson Wentz because he and Wentz had had success. No, you bring Wentz in and, well, we saw how it went. So, yeah, I mean, no pun intended. Um, so what really, what really makes me feel for Frank Wright is the fact that he could not have expected when he started that job that Luck was going to retire. His retirement set off a chain of events that clearly he has not been able to re to return from. Five seasons, five different starting quarterbacks. Luck, Brissett, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and no Matt Ryan. And then now we have, um, I don't remember the quarterback's name. Tom Ellinger. Ellinger, right. So we have now Ellinger. He's the seventh quarterback that they have used in the entire time that he, Frank Reich, has been there. You can't succeed if you're if you have to chop and change your quarterback every season because the only reason you change your quarterback is because he's not playing well enough. He's not giving you what you need. So they have not gotten production from the most important position in football. And yes, that is a problem. No, you brought in Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, as you said, one year too late. I thought that they were going to be at least challenging for the division title. Because, again, we always underrate Tennessee. But Tennessee has kept it on rolling, and the offensive line can't block for a man that can't move, clearly. And then, as you said, Jonathan Taylor, he's been, oh, he, he was the consensus number one pick in fantasy. And everybody that picked him has to be cursing their luck, including me, because they did have one overall number one pick, and that has not worked out for me either. So, I mean, when you look at how things have gone. Rick does have to take some responsibility because he was the head coach of this team and the team has not looked good on offense. He was brought in as an offensive coach and the offense has not been good. You have to take responsibility for that. But Ballard needed to be fired as well because he is the one that is responsible for the building of this roster and he's not done a good job. And now, to continue, 
on the not a good job theme we now have the biggest shock that came out of Indy and that was that they named good old Jeff Saturday to be their interim head coach Saturday a former center for the Colts has no prior head coaching experience in the pros or in college or even in high school. I think they said that he is just the head coach of his son's um, like peewee football team. And now he has been given the keys to the kingdom for at least the rest of this year. What do we make of this? All right. So I'm going to put my bias here right up front and tell you all that I like Personally, I like Jeff Saturday, the human being. I like Jeff Saturday, the analyst. I love Jeff Saturday, the center, the six-time Pro Bowl center, because I like those Indianapolis Colts. And Jeff Saturday did spend a season or part there of in green and yellow in Lambeau. So I have a an affinity for Jeff Saturday. Um, part of the reason I'm trying to be kind is because it is an interim head coach job, so I would not expect Jeff Saturday to keep this job barring some miracle and turn it around with division and actually host a playoff game. But I have to put my bias aside, and that being said, this is atrocious. And it just comes back to show you all over again that relationships matter in any form of life. Like, if you're somebody's friend, if you know somebody well, you're going to get a job, especially if you're somebody's son you're somebody's brother-in-law. And what a lot of people didn't realize, all this time Jeff Saturday was serving as a consultant to the Indianapolis Colts, and he seems to have Jim Ursay's ear. Like he is a very, very good friend of Jim Ursay. Like they've kept that relationship on since his retirement. I know the coordinators have been up in arms because we've talked about how hard it is, especially for coaches of color to elevate to these rights. Like, you know, they don't know what they can do. Like, you tell them at one point, well, you're not being in the pipeline. You're not being, like, coaching quarterbacks. You're not on offense. So then we put a bevy of persons in, of color in the offensive side. Like, when you look at Byron Leftwich and you talk about the Eric enemy, like, we continue to put people of color in offensive positions and then they still look past that, saying, you know, we don't have any relationships with you or, you know, I don't know about your experience. I don't know. Like, and then you see someone like Jeff Saturday with absolutely no coaching experience of any kind coming and get this job. is is a bad look. The thing is, I don't feel for, and I'm going to say this and not feel any way, white coordinators simply because we've had of these coaches getting jobs because of who their parents are. Or who their family relations are. I mean, look no further. Like Bill Belichick, the entire New England franchise is just a bunch of Belichick of Belichicks walking about the place. When Dallas Cowboys, Jerry and all his sons are running the Dallas Cowboys situation. And if you think I'm just using a couple to ex to explore my point, that's not the case. Look at the situation: San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shanahan has a job because of who his father is. It's Mike Shanahan, Coach Matt Lafleur has a job because he was best friends with, um, I want to say, Robert Sala, who had then gone on with Kyle Shanahan, either it was in Atlanta or Washington. And so it's just a situation of the relationships you build, friends and family. And you see it again here with Jess Sardis. So while these coaches 
had no issue bringing in their friends and family. Now, you can't complain that when the owner brings in his own friend. But it is a it's an awful hire. And I do like Jeff Saturday, the person and the analyst. But you have coordinators doing their entire put they're serving their entire livelihood going through the lines, whether through college, through being assistant coach and then have after having been players, and then for a man with no coaching experience to come and do this, it is not a good look. But no matter what Jim Ursay does know is gonna be a surprise for me anymore. Fair enough. So there are a couple of things that you didn't mention of that I also was going to highlight. Um, first off, the first thing that most people are going to complain about where this is concerned is that we had a white analyst or a white man who has not had any coaching experience getting an opportunity that no black man is ever going to get because a black man most likely will not have the relationships with anyone to allow him to get a job with absolutely no experience um so that was the first point that i saw being you know thrown around a lot especially on twitter um then the relationship aspect was very very important now what i had not realized prior was that frank Reich used to be a quarterback within the indianapolis Colts organization he was a part of that team that won the super bowl when Peyton was there so you can see that Jim Ursay has a reputation of hiring people that he knows, hiring his friends, people that have been good to him in the past. So from that perspective, you can understand why Jeff Saturday would get the call. And right now, the season is a wash. So really and truly, what is the point of going out there and hiring someone who is probably going to come with a big price tag? I mean, looking at someone like, let's say, the same Leftwich or the same enemy. first you got to convince them to leave their organizations and come over here in an interim basis because you're not exactly doing the full coaching hire at this point. So why would they leave their clubs to come and be your interim head coach with no guarantee that they're going to get the job for next season? And then looking at the current construction of your roster, which is as bad as it has probably ever been, then why would they want to come over there to have to then deal with that, lose most of the games for the rest of the season, have that on their coaching record, and then probably never get another chance? The 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 um the stakes are too high for black quarter for black coaches to just go and take up any old position with the expectation that I am going to lose, but I'm still going to get a chance. Unless you're Lovey Smith taking up that <laughs> I was about to say, Lovey Smith, Lovey Smith wants to have a word with you. Yeah, he's the exception to the rule. All right, um, so looking at the chat, um, AJ said that he was initially shocked, but to be honest, he's not aggrieved by it, like you said, Justin, and I just also said, relationships matter. Most importantly for him, for me though, I think the Colts are looking forward to next season. This season is a bust, so they're experimenting. The vet quarterback you acquired is out for the year. Your offensive line can't block the sun out of their eyes. This includes your pro bowl all I mean, it definitely looks bad if you put into the context of black and white, but it's deeper than just that. So that's why I want to quickly add, right? To mm-hmm. add on your point that you were correct. The only reason I'm not up in arms is because it's an interim time. And I would not expect Jeff Sardin to keep this job. And this Colts team, your veteran quarterback is done for the year. 
your running back is in and out with injuries, the offensive line is bad, so could as well call the season a wash. Yeah, and AJ agrees with that too. He says, if you hire a top coach right now and bring him into this cesspool, it only makes it worse for the organization. Mark says that in relation to the coaching staff, Gus Bradley is still on staff and he has head coaching experience. John Fox is a consultant to the team, but half an age-wise may not be interested. That is all true. We just have no idea who's calling the plays on Sunday. So they're going to have to figure that oh, out. Oh, we do. Another guy with no experience, a 30-year-old, it's apparently calling the plays. I can't remember the name, but a thirty-year-old will be calling the plays on, on this this weekend. Okay. All right. So Justin, we we are at an hour and some. So we have one more topic ready that I wanted to touch on. We'll have to leave the World Cup preview for just before the World Cup next week. The Golden State Warriors. We're going over to the hardwood. <sighs> the Warriors are in trouble. The defending champs are four and seven adjustment winless on the Eastern Conference road trip, which included games against Orlando and Detroit. We're now into November, and well, to their credit, they won the game they played last night against the Sacramento Kings. But do we consider this a turnaround? Are we? I know we said that it was too early when we talked about this a few weeks ago, but is it time to panic? No. 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 They'll get turned around. I don't expect them to win the title. I'll tell you who they have just shortly. But I don't expect them to win the title. But in terms of panic, I'm missing playoffs and all. Like, reality situation, Steph Curry is still a uh, top five player in this league. Um, there is concern, though. And the reason I, I don't have them to win because Father Time is unbeaten. You got what you got with a Clay Thompson. You have to be happy for that last season. But... Reality coming back from those two significant injuries, and they really were significant. I, you're just never going to get the same player again. And you're seeing the slippage in Draymond Green by the day. Uh, that situation with Jordan Poole, I know a lot of people like to brush over that. But it goes a bit deeper because a lot of people don't seem to also realize is that Jordan Poole got paid. Draymond Green is eligible, worthy. And I don't expect the Warriors to pay him what he's looking for. I've told people that this is the last season that we're seeing Draymond Green in bay. And while that is significant is that the guy who he got in a fight with is rumored over the situation of money. And the fact that Golden State knows they're not going to pay him, I would have suspended Draymond and looked to essentially move him out, trade him. I don't know what you would have traded him for because... You're about to lose him for absolutely nothing unless Draymond realizes that he has to take a market-friendly deal because what you think he's going to get out there on the open market is not out there. He, this is going to sound weird when you say this, he is the second most important player in this entire championship run. Steph Curry is Steph Curry, but they are not who they are without what Draymond does as their defensive signal caller the guy who protects the rim, who makes all the defensive adjustments, as well as the guy who is also their playmaker on offense. Like, the ball starts with him and he makes the decisions. He is slipping by the day. I know they feel secure in the fact that Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole have both been paid on lucrative extensions, and that should be the base of your team going forward, and it should be. So I think that's part of the reason I am not panicking just yet. Like, eventually those two players will find their footing and the Golden State Warriors will get around to what they are. 
It's just that they're not going to be as good defensively because Draymond Green mentally probably is not there and physically Father Time is catching up. This team will get into the playoffs. I suspect, though, they will not get any further than the second round. Like, that's the reality of the situation. So, are they in trouble? It's too early this season to say because I know a lot of people also forget January. I think they had a losing record January en route to winning the title. That's when Draymond was hurt. Again, to show you Draymond's importance to this team. He missed all, if not all, most of January. And the team struggled both sides of the basketball just to show you what he means to the team. I am not ready to panic, but I also don't have them to win this title. And I don't even have them to be to reach the Western Conference Finals. All right, so Adam says that the Warriors are not in trouble yet. And I will have to agree. It, it is still too early. The Warriors have played 11 games of basketball. And they've lost most of them. And that is definitely a concern. Because you would rather have your team winning than losing. But the Warriors are still a top-class organization in the NBA. And they have a top-class coaching staff. And they still have some very good talent that they can call on on a nightly basis. Right now, Steph Curry is doing all that he can to keep this team afloat and if the team's record, let's say that they had a record on par with like the Milwaukee's and the Dallas's, then a lot of the talk that we'll be that we've been hearing so far of MVP for Luka Doncic, Steph Curry would be in that conversation because right now, if he doesn't play, they're a lottery team for sure. And that is even with everybody else healthy and, and playing to the peak of their powers. Um, we still have to give Clay Thompson an opportunity to show us what he still has because we haven't seen much of him so far. He's been on a minute restriction and when he's been on the floor, his shooting has been sporadic. But you know when he gets hot, when Clay Thompson gets hot, nobody gets hotter than he does. So we have to wait and see what that well, if he still has that kind of juice in him offensively, but defensively, you know that he's going to have lost a step because nobody's coming back from an Achilles tear and an ACL and be the exact same player that they were before. To his credit, he was not a high flyer. He was not like a Derrick Rose. So he doesn't lose on his athleticism to that degree. But the defensive stopper that he was, that probably is no concern to history. Um, Draymond Green, as you said, he is older. He has not looked as good. But the other challenge that he is going to have, as you said, is that more likely he is done after this year. Draymond has a player option for this coming season, for 2023. Who knows what he decides to do where that player option is concerned. But if he decides that he wants to stay, he has the opportunity to do so, but everyone thinks or expects him to leave. And there's, you know, there's talk that how the Warriors were happy that he got there and punched out Jordan Poole, which is why they leaked the video 
so that when the good stuff and silver stuff, you know, we give it another year. We tried our best with him this season, but you know, we just paid Jordan Poole $140 million. The relationship is too fractured, it's not working. We have to let him go. We've seen a decline of his player on the floor. Steph will not then have the leverage that he would have had prior to the punch to say, but well, you have to bring him back or I walk as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out down the road. I still believe that the Warriors can be a top four seed in the West. I I can see them being top four. Second round of the playoffs. Yeah, that sounds about right. But depending on who the matchup is and if these youngsters can give the level of development that they're looking for. And by the youngsters, I'm speaking specifically of Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, and Jonathan Kaminga. Because apparently there have been some people who've been watching the play of James Wiseman. And they're saying that right now Wiseman, Wiseman doesn't have it. Because when they lost the game, I think it was the game that they lost to... Not Orlando. No, yes, it was the game that they lost to Orlando. That the Warriors were up by almost 20 points when he came in. And then he was on the floor for about three or four minutes. The Warriors scored six additional points and the lead was down to three or four by the time he was gone. So he right now is a big minus, which you would have hoped that he would have been a plus helping to man the paint because paint presence has always been a problem with the Warriors. But he's so, not been that. See, and this is the one not on the organization. They've drafted so well from Steph to Clay to Draymond. Obviously, you trade to get Andrew Wiggins, you drafted Jordan Poole. You've done so well, but the one knock is the one thing that's going to cost you in extending this dynasty. And that is taking James Wiseman over Lonzo Ball. Because as much as. Sorry, the Mellow Ball, so sorry. Mm -hmm. And as much as people say, oh, but you already have a point guard in Steph Curry. Reality situation Steph Curry does not play on the ball. The Mellow does, though. And you would have helped to extend Steph, Curry, Steph Curry's career even longer. Like, let's look at the situation. Jordan Poole comes off the bench. You could have done the same with LaMelo Ball. And on top of that, it's not like LaMelo and Steph Curry can't play together because, again, Steph plays off the ball a lot, and you mm -hmm. would have LaMelo to simply run your offense and make life easier for Steph Curry. Taking James Wiseman, and again, I know at that time it was a luxury pick. And you wanted somebody you thought could help you win titles? No, but clearly James Wiseman is not that player because he didn't even play last season. And Lamelo Ball has already been an All Star. They would have found a way to extend this title run even further had they just not messed up on that one draft, that one bad draft pick. Because reality situation, as you said, James Wiseman is not it. Yeah, I mean. I honestly, I did not have a problem with them not picking LaMelo Ball at the time. Yep. Because, I mean, his father annoys me, but that's, <laughs> that's a story for another day. Um, but LaMelo, to me, at the time, looking at how the roster was constructed, he would not have been the best fit. However, when you, especially when you make the comparison between what he's giving and Jordan Poole, yeah, so Poole probably is the better shooter of the two. Yeah, no, no. 
but Lamelo is better at everything else, including defense. Because when you look at Jordan Poole on defense, he is what Patrick Beverly described Chris Paul as. He is a cone. He is he is one that is a minus on the defensive end, not a plus. So yeah, maybe you know somewhere in the multiverse, the Warriors are continuing to kick butt because they they pick Lamelo Ball as opposed to picking James Wiseman, and that team probably is the greatest show on the court, like the greatest show on turf. But alas, we will never know. We will never see. We would just all we can do now is just watch the games and see what happens by the end of this season. Imagine you have a situation that you start your typical starters, and then off the bench. You're having the mellow and Jordan Poole coming at you. Just e- imagine that. <laughs> Good gosh. Yeah, that would have been nice. And I mean, if you're getting negative player from James Wiseman, then obviously having him or not having him kind of nets out, or you may actually be in the positive. All right, Justin, I think that's a good spot for us to land the show for tonight. We thank you so much for joining us because if you were not here, I would be sitting here talking to the to the masses on my own. And that's not nearly as much fun. You you'd have gotten it done, I'm sure. <laughs> well, hopefully we never have to find out. But thank you again so much for being here. You can tell the folks where they can find you as always. Well, hashtag this just in, please put in the hashtag. We don't want Max Kellerman show me. You don't want those cool tits. Hashtag this just in. We are primarily a YouTube streaming live show every Monday. At, usually, it used to be 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. But no, I think we're looking at pushing a later date. Uh, we have been on hiatus for two weeks, but we should be back on next week. And that should be at a later time. So 9 in the Caribbean, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Sorry, 8 p.m. Sorry, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. You can find us on YouTube every monday night if you want our short form content then hit i want to see instagram twitter and facebook that's hashtag this just in and if ken will have me i think i will come back on next week tuesday to help replace aj and try my best it's not easy don't have the beard and the big hair and stuff and <laughs> tom brady takes but yeah Oh yes, we we definitely will be looking forward to having you back with us next week. Um, For everyone that has been with us tonight, especially those of you guys in the chat, we definitely had a lot of fun interacting with you. As Justin said, the clocks have changed if you haven't noticed. So unfortunately for those of you in the Caribbean, we're an hour later, but we're going to be the same time here in the US, which is 6 p.m. where I am in the mountain time zone, 7 p.m. in the central. 8 p.m. on the East Coast and 9 p.m. for you guys in the Atlantic time zone. Unfortunately, you can't take it any earlier because then we don't, if, you know, work and stuff is going to be really hard. We will probably be coming on here just talking off of our face with absolutely no prep. And you wouldn't want that. So <laughs> thank you again, Justin. Thank you so much, everyone. I am Ken. I am the blue half of the Green Beige Podcast. Justin filled in for the green. And we will see you guys next time.